0: It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and Dustin Hawkinsmith. All right, welcome into another edition of the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn State Health. That's Bob Flounders here with me, Dustin Hawkinsmith as well. We've got we're in full off season mode here, uh, looking at on this edition, Bob, guys who aren't being talked about enough, and I I would say under the radar ish might be a way to put it. You've got a few names on the offensive side. I've got a few names on the defensive side that we'll launch into just players that uh, probably deserve a little bit more discussion and we're going to give it to them single-handedly. We're going to solve this problem, Bob. And I think for first though, just to drop a little bit, a little note in here, um, Big Ten divisions and college football divisions, college athletic divisions, could soon be a thing of the past. Uh, the NCAA met on this, and it looks like that's the, the direction. At some point in time, things are going to go. What are your thoughts as this relates to Big Ten football?
1: I think it's definitely going to happen in the Big Ten. I think literally minutes after the news broke on Wednesday, the Pac-12 had already come to some decision they were going to revamp because they they need to. You know, they need to revamp. You know how they get their best teams, you know, into into contention for a possible uh, look at the national playoff, and and they like, they didn't waste any time. The Big Ten will probably take a little bit more time to figure this out, but we've been talking about this for years. The you know, if you look at the last five or six Big Ten championship games, it's always with very few exceptions. I know Michigan Michigan got there this year and just drubbed Iowa, but the point is valid. Usually, the best team is usually best. Couple of teams are in the Big Ten East, and so what do you do? Either you have to re- realign the divisions to get a more competitive championship game, or you change the way you pick the opponent, the the teams that make the championship game. And it might, it, I think divisions are going to come are going to be a thing of the past. I think I think the Big Ten will come out with some kind of criteria to determine who the two best teams um in the Big 10 are at the end of the year and that it's really because the Big 10 West for a lot of reasons has just become inferior you know i was an overachieving team northwestern's good every two or three years nebraska has just flat out fizzled i think the big 10 was hoping they would be back it's it's kind of gone in reverse you know wisconsin is a solid team but they're a very predictable one dimensional team on offense they can't score enough so you know between michigan ohio state and you know and really penn state Those have pretty much been the top three teams the last few years, and I think it's good news for Penn State fans, too, because ultimately they're trying to get to the playoff, but also knowing that they can't really recruit with Ohio State. There could be a world where they have a really good season, can't beat Ohio State. They're the second-best team in the Big Ten, and if not in the next couple years, they could still get into the playoff maybe as an at-large team with a representative showing against maybe Ohio State in the Big Ten Conference. I think – I think the the Big Ten has to do it. I think every other conference is doing it, Dustin, because you can pick the top four teams going into the season almost every year. It's going to be some variation of Georgia, Alabama, maybe Clemson, Ohio State. There's usually maybe another team to consider. But after that, the gap is so huge and it's hard for the other teams to kind of make up ground.
0: I think the Big Ten kind of let off the hook a little bit here too, because it didn't strike me that they were jumping for joy at the idea of, of realigning divisions based on power structure. Uh, so they've been dragging their feet on that for a long time that now I think they're just kind of nudged in the right direction. I guess, I guess the next point of it will be, you know, how did the, the scheduling change and stuff like that? What, what are the trickle down changes that cut, that come from it? But, um, it seemed like once the idea was floated out there, very, very prematurely, by the way, about expanding the playoff, uh, it seemed like divisions might be the next thing to go. So this will be a, a step in that direction. Let's talk about under the radar guys. I'm going to have you introduce introduce an offensive player uh, for me and why and why they're not getting the height that they deserve.
1: Yeah. So you and I put our big brains together uh, prior to get coming on the air. And the idea was, let's come up with some names on offense and defense about guys maybe maybe the media or the fans aren't, aren't talking enough going into August practice. Because things can change in August, but, you know, you only get so much exposure to spring drills. Uh, you know, reps were limited, players were held out. So who are some players maybe that could really jump up in August and by the time September rolls around? We know a little bit about them, but, man, they could really, really determine – Penn State's fortunes on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball. So we came up with a format of three each. Hopefully we'll stick to that. I think we could probably both name about ten each. But the guy at the top of my list, and I, I don't, I think every everyone's list would be different. But going into August, he's just come on the campus. I know he's up. At, he's now officially a part of the program. It's Hunter Norzad. It's the it's the offensive line transfer from Cornell. A very good player at Cornell, which is an FCS school. And I know that doesn't always translate. You know, Eric Wilson was, I think, uh, an Ivy League player that was just okay for Penn State last year. But I think this guy might be a little bit better. He definitely looks meaner, which counts for me. He's from Georgia, played right tackle at Cornell, made 20 starts, I think. They didn't play in 2020, but he's made 20 starts his last two seasons. Seasoned guy, and they need help along the interior. He played tackle. He's going to play I think guard at Penn State. And I just think Penn State deep down, I don't feel I don't know that they feel super great about their guards. I think they probably like them, but I think Hunter Norzad's going to get a very long look in August and they need depth inside and they just need improved play inside. I think Hunter Norzad if he can be a good player for Penn State on that offensive line, I think I think Penn State fans have to prepare for maybe a different looking offensive line if he can kind of hit the ground running.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people will make that quick comparison to Eric Wilson, who came from Harvard, and as you said, just kind of an okay player. To me, at the very least, uh, Hunter Norzad will be a bar-to-clear if you want to start for this team, Landon Tangwall, for example, you have to, you're going to have to earn the job against a guy who's played a lot of football, who's got that mean streak. At the most, he can be more of a tone setter. You know, he, I think somebody to come in and, and shift the culture around to come from an external program and to kind of bring a mean streak. So there, there's definitely some upside there, but I think the, the downside is, You know, somebody's going to have to beat out another veteran to earn one of those guard jobs. And competition is good for everybody in this situation.
1: Even if it takes him a little while to maybe uh, get caught up, I don't know how long that would be. He's got to be a sharp guy, Dustin. He he graduated from Cornell with an engineering degree. So I'm sure, and physically, um, he was up there for the blue-white game. He got introduced in front of the crowd. He certainly looks looks like a Big Ten offensive lineman. They just need so much help, and, and, and they need depth. So even if it takes him a little while uh, to fit in, I have to think at some point this season, Penn State's going to be looking to play him. I think, I think Anthony Wiggin lasted all of about a quarter and a half in the, the Wisconsin opener when Wisconsin's defense just overran Penn State early in that game. They, I think they had negative yards. And they put Wilson in, I think, early in the second quarter. And even though he wasn't great, he was so much better. Than Anthony Wigan, who is now out of the program, he was that bad, that it could be one of those instances where, yeah, this player isn't going to be an all Big Ten player, but he is going to be uh, a representative Big Ten talent. And maybe that's just what Penn State needs.
0: Do you think a similar situation unfolds where you've got a co-starter at one of those guard spots and, and they, they wait and see and, and figure out who, uh, who the best of the, of the two is?
1: Yeah, I know. And then, well, they don't, um, back when back when James Franklin used to put out depth charts, they don't even do that anymore. I think everyone was listed as an or if there was any doubt, just to try and confuse the fan base and also the other team, like that matters. But I think this guy's a pretty good player, and I do think l- looking at their choices at guard, Landon Tangwall, who I think can be a really good player, and he was a, he was a coveted recruit. Uh, he's definitely got a lot bigger. He's up to like three thirty. I think they feel pretty good about Landon Tangwall. I just don't know how they really feel about Salim Wormley, who they claim was in a position to start last year but had an injury that really kept him out all season. He looked like they brought him along slowly in the spring. Um, Nick Dawkins, I think, is another guy that might have a chance, if he has a strong August, to actually see some reps. But, you know what, it's, it's such a big year for the offense. It's an even bigger year, I think, for Phil Troutline, the offensive line coach, because I know he can recruit in terms of getting four stars on campus, but it has not shown up, I don't think, on the field at all. It's, it's a big year for the offense. It's a bigger year for Phil Troutline, excuse me. And I think that Hunter Nor- Norzad was a guy that I think a lot of schools wanted. So all, all signs point to him. If he's healthy and, and he can make it through August, he's going to be getting a long look and the way that their season opens, Dustin, with some tough trips to Purdue and Auburn in the first three weeks, they're going to need all the, the help they can get if they're going to be able to run the ball early.
0: I mean, a couple of things. I think change could be a good thing to have more guys who have more time, um, having been coached by Phil Troutwine. You know, have he inherited some guys who are, who are nice players, but maybe the philosophical, uh, you know, whatever he's trying to get done, he'll have more guys who who buy into that. And I want to, I want to. Buy what James Franklin has to say about Sal Wormley at face value. But is there any position group where he has less credibility uh, when it comes to his words than the O-line? And even he he addresses it. He yeah. he has said the same thing.
1: Even he, he finally said it at his last uh, Blue-White Spring uh, press conference after the game, you know, I want us to get to the point where we could talk about committing to the run and we're going to run the ball and then we actually go out there and back it up. Now, that was a funny statement. I don't think he was trying to be funny, but it's also a very damning statement. They have not been able to back up their talk about the offensive line. They've gotten some good kids. you know. They're, they're getting kids that you know, a lot of other schools wanted, four-star talents, but the development has not been there. Maybe it can change in a hurry, but it's got to change soon because the last two years that offensive line has just really – it really has started to remind me of what they look like in 2014 and 2015. And that is not a good look for Penn state. They only had like one scholarship tackle when Franklin arrived and they, they cannot afford to take a step back against the Ohio state of the world.
0: Well, let's stick with offense. Let's let's go to your next one.
1: I, I'm excited for your defensive guys, but uh, we could stick with the offense. Here's a guy that I, I just think that people know him and people think he's a good player, but I really think this guy could be an exceptional player. Uh, in the fall, Keandre Lambert-Smith, because, you know, Parker Washington had the had the really nice game in the Outback Bowl. He's been, Dustin, since literally from his first game when he played at Indiana in 2020 as a true freshman without any really, you know, any really off field prep time because of COVID, caught a touchdown pass in overtime. And he's just been a money player for Penn State in the passing game. Knows how to get open. He's very, very good after the catch. He's faster than people realize. He's hard to bring down. Everyone knows about Parker, right? And I think people, you almost heard more about Mitchell Tinsley than you did about Keandre Lambert-Smith in spring. And that was because people wanted to know about him. But Keandre Lambert-Smith last year was a pretty good player. I thought he was one of their, next to Jahan, their second most dangerous player maybe in the passing game, you know, down the field. Had a long touchdown catch. Uh, against Villanova, which doesn't necessarily count. But uh, early in that Wisconsin game, I think he got behind the Wisconsin secondary for like a 40- or 50-yard catch. I think he's a good player. I think he can get a lot better. Um, He's one of the few real big receivers that Penn State has. You know, Jahan caught something like, what did he catch, 91 passes last year or something like that? Someone's going to have to get those targets and get those catches because Parker Washington, I think, had 64 or 65 catches last year. Mitchell Tinsley's a high volume guy, but there's gonna be there's gonna be some uh, some yards and catches, you know, on the table. I think he's gonna get them. And I do think in year three, I think I think he's ready to really become one of the better deep threats in the Big Ten.
0: And I mean, if uh, without comparing them side by side, maybe Ohio State's got a better, you know, trio, but, you know, it's, it's going to be hard to find a number three wide receiver. And I would still put him in that role, even though maybe the lines are blurred between these guys a little bit. Still, so, but, but he might be the best number three in, in the big 10. I don't know what what exactly that counts for, but Parker Washington, I think is, it can make a seamless jump to being the number one wideout. Mitchell Tinsley, they're saying the, all the right things about how he approaches the game and how he approaches the sport and his preparation and work and all that stuff. Couple that with what he did at Western Kentucky last year. It's easy to see him being a pr- productive guy. I mean, I think this trio has a chance to be a really, really good group. Uh, not that you automatically can make up for what Jahan Dotson brought to the table, but I think they'll they'll share in that in that replacement effort.
1: Yeah, and I think the key is going to be Sean Clifford and his trust and comfort factor um, with the entire group because you know he's got it with Parker Washington. When Dotson sat out or opted out of the of the bowl game, he looked Parker Washington's way almost exclusively, and and he did have a, a big day. But ultimately, it's going to be Ke- Keandre and and. Uh, And Tinsley have to earn the trust of Clifford the way that Parker does because he's the distributor of the ball. They've also got some tight ends they can throw to. But, you know, I think that Keandre is a dangerous player in this offense. I think, you know, if if he gets the ball in space, you can see he can really make some big plays. I would hope after entering year three, Sean trusts him enough to get him the ball. Now, I know that they also have a couple of young wide receivers that that they really, really, really like. Caden Saunders comes to mind. Trey Wallace, Harrison Wallace had a nice play in the blue-white game, and even Malik Mega, but I think Keandre Lambert-Smith is a guy that Penn State fans are aware of, but I don't think they realize how good he can be.
0: Making his way through progressions will be another thing. I mean, you got three guys, you might trust all three of them, but if you can't process and get to the second or third choice on a play, that's part. Of, that's part of this too.
1: Absolutely. I absolutely agree, and I think there was a lot that probably went into the, the Penn state struggles on offense, even when Clifford came back. And I, you know, I just think that, I think that the design of Mike Gersuch's offense is, is pretty legit, but executing that offense, I, I just felt like other than Sean and Jahan Dotson, everyone else, and in Parker, I should say and Parker, the other guys maybe weren't maybe as comfortable in that offense and all the things and all the checks and all the nuances you know all the all the little things that you have to do right in a split second to get open, and I think maybe you'll see that in year two. Maybe they're going to be a little bit more comfortable, but i do I do agree with you. it's not enough, Dustin anymore, to just be a physically talented player at skill positions. You have to be on the same page with your quarterback, and you have to know where the ball's going to be, what the depth's going to be, and you have to run you have to run like Jahan Dotson was a great route runner, and I think that's an overlooked skill.
0: I like the types and the number of options that they have at wide receiver now. Like there's, there's a pretty nice little pipeline here because there's some other names that you didn't even mention. In addition, you know, Amari Evans, it seems like they really like him too. Liam Clifford and, uh, and Jaden Dotton who, uh, who looked pretty good at the blue white game. So this is a pretty good group. Who's your, who's your third guy? My third guy is,
1: is one of those guys I've been talking about for a while. I almost went back to the offensive line. If I picked five guys. Uh, not the hamburger stand, which I know you're fond of, Dustin. Not not five guys. The hamburger stand. <laughs> but I picked five guys. I think uh, I think another offensive lineman or two might have made it on my list. I resisted the temptation to go really really obvious and say Nick Singleton because I do think that I think a lot of fans are expecting big things from him. But my guy is my guy. My other guy is Theo Johnson. And uh, out of that tight end room, he's the guy I like the best. And I was talking to him uh, for a story recently, and I'm talking to some of the other tight ends. And they're all freaks, right? You know, T- Tyler Warren played quarterback in college. I used him as a wildcat running back. He's thrown some passes. Uh, as a He's a lefty. Bretton Strange, You know, I think a very good player. Maybe the, I could be the best blocker in the group. Did some things early in 2020. Uh, I think he's a very, very talented player. The strongest guy in the tight end room. Theo Johnson just broke Mike Gasicki's uh 40 time, 40 record for for the program, 451, 1. And he is every bit, I think, of 255 pounds at almost 6'6. If you remember Mike Gasicki, his first two years at Penn State, they played him a little bit early. He was a little small. Joe Moorhead had not arrived. He was he was shackled a little bit by the John Donovan offense. Uh, but he arrived at 2016, Moorhead did, and, and that was that was you know Mike's r- first big breakout year, you know, and he followed that up in 2017. I just think Theo Johnson's pretty much right there, right there athletically with Gesicki. Um and at, at four five one, one the things you can do with a guy that big, especially in the red zone, red zone, you can split him out. He is essentially a big receiver at times. I didn't understand why he wasn't a bigger part of the offense last year. Of all those, of all those guys, he is easily to me the biggest matchup problem. I think for an opposing secondary, because not only of that size, but because of that speed. He,
0: his he's six six, but I think his wingspan looks even even bigger than than six six. And I think the way that he was used uh, last year kind of maybe set the stage for that role to grow. Like, it's tough whenever you've got an established starter in Brenton Strange. And he could very well be uh, the number one guy. But um, I think they're going to ask Theo Johnson to do more. Uh, you know, there there's going to be a bunch of mouths to feed in this offense. And uh, they're going to have to find a way to get him involved. He made 19 catches last year. It seemed like... He started six games. It seems like in a lot of those games, there was like there's a fifteen or twenty yard catch. If you just if you if you just try to try to look for him in those situations, he seemed to deliver.
1: Yeah, a couple times I think he drew flags on defenders. Uh, I also believe that rather famously he was wide open for a touchdown in the Outback Bowl, and I think Sean Clifford missed him uh, back when Penn State I think had a ten seven lead and they could have extended that. So I think two or three times in a game, I think he's a guy you want to design a play for. And I think that's what Mike Gasicki was. He he originally uh was a contested catch guy, right? That's and then the more that Penn State began to to trust him, you saw him, uh, I think in his last year he caught nine touchdown passes and he became he was a contested catch guy, Dustin, but he was also a red zone option where they just died they just designed plays exclusively for him. And I think Theo Johnson, the minute the minute he starts to get rolling, I think they're gonna get him more involved every game. And I just think I don't know how you cover a guy that's that big and that quick because you can't – whoever you put on him, he's going to have an advantage. So I I just think that he – there's no reason he shouldn't be a guy that might even lead the team in touchdown catches this year.
0: Uh, that's that's a good prediction. I I would support that prediction. I I also like about him that Mike Gasicki took a little time to graduate from let's say a finesse player to a physical player, and I, th- I think I think he's still not there as a blocker now I, I, as a Miami Dolphin. I think Theo Johnson has a little bit more physical streak in him now than Gasicki ever did too, which helps. I think he's a tough guy and a physical guy.
1: I think I think Penn State is counting on it because when you factor in the offensive line depth issues. It's just the offensive line play in general when it comes to running the ball and pass protecting, if they can't get some help on the outside from some of those tight ends, especially in short yardage, they're not going to run the ball in the fall. Just, they just don't, they've lost, they lost some good players and they just, you know, Big Ten defenses are just too good. Um, it doesn't help them that they don't go under center. They really don't, no matter what Franklin, but I mean when you when you're when your quarterback is taking the ball in the spread, and then handing it to the uh, running back who really doesn't have momentum, it's tough. It's tough to pick up one or two yards when you know what's coming, unless all the guys at scrimmage are getting, you know, are getting hats on hats. So they're going to have to be better, or Penn State's not going to run the ball, I think, too much
0: better in 2022. This is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our locations, including our New State College dispensary located at 1248 South Atherton Street. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. All right, going to shift over to defense now, all right? Yeah. I feel like I got to start with DaQuan Hardy. I love it. Just kind of perpetu- perpetually underappreciated, I think, and he's he's just been so reliable, so sticky in coverage. He scraps, he fights. He he can he can you know he playing that slot role is such an important role now over the past decade in football, and he does it so so well. And I think because he's sort of stuck there. You not forget about him, but you're always just, you know, we're talking about Caitlin King. We're talking about Joey Porter Jr., maybe being a first round pick. Uh, but Daquan Hardy, you know, I think is uh better than Grant Haley was. Um Ooh. you know, for that under for that undersized corner. I I think so. And maybe if if not now, by the time he's officially done with it in his career. He's five nine, one eighty-two. I I when I think of him, I think of Avante Maddox, who played for Pitt. And who is now listed by the Philadelphia Eagles at 5'9, 184. So it's not like Daquan Hardy is, is stuck and he, you know, his football career is going to end. I think he's going to play in, in the league, and I think he's going to play for a while in the league too. I, and I think he's just he's such an important part of the defense that's very, very easy to overlook because he's a small guy and he doesn't play on the perimeter.
1: Yeah, I like to pick uh your pick. Grant Haley, John Reed, uh, and now this guy similar sized players, but they're very, very, very good. In pass coverage. What I really like about Daquan is if they list him at 5'9, I mean, that might be in high heels, but he, it doesn't matter, Dustin, because uh, he is a willing, willing participant uh, in the run game. He's not afraid to stick his nose in there. He's actually very effective at timed blitzes and kind of, and, you know, tackles for losses. He knows how to kind of, he kind of, he can camouflage when he's coming. I think he's really good at that. He had an interception return for a touchdown at Michigan State. It's not easy playing inside in the slot, but uh, as a nickel player for Penn State, I think they're going to play a ton of nickel. He's on the field a lot more than than a lot of those Penn State defenders that maybe have bigger names. And he was a, he was almost an afterthought to the class that he came in. And I think he's a fourth year player now, but three star out of Western PA, uh, kind of I think known more for his his offense and his return game. In high school but I think he was a he was one of their last additions to that class and Terry Smith told me pretty early in his career that hey we're not looking at him just to be a special teams player we think he can help us in the slot in the nickel defense and he doesn't back away from challenges you know what I mean he's he's a tough kid and I do think he's going to get better and and he is I he is easily one of the most overlooked players on that defense
0: uh, important guy. I'm, I'm looking up. He was, uh, the number 135 cornerback in the country. And I think, I, I really think, um, you know, especially Terry Smith coming from Western PA. I think James Franklin loves when there's a Pennsylvania underdog success story. Like Journey Brown was on his way to being that too before things got before his health issues. So I think they love they could advertise. They got this scrapper from the West and look what he's doing. Yeah. Another good point.
1: Journey Brown, man. Oh, what would have, what might've been Daquan Hardy? I think is, uh, I think Manny Diaz is going to, is going to know how to put him in the, in the best spots. Manny Diaz likes aggressive players judging by what he did at Miami when it was the DC. And I think he knows that he's and Daquan Hardy, he's got a dangerous weapon as a disruptive player, even though he's probably 180 pounds soaking wet, but this guy is not just a coverage specialist and, I'm with you. I think that it it it's the extra corner position on the Penn State defense is really they view it as a starting
0: player. Uh, my last point on this, and we'll get moved to the next guy. I think, and I don't have the data to support it, but I think the the idea of a number one wide receiver, especially at the next level, has changed from like he's got to be six three. Like Jahan Dotson was the number sixteen pick in the draft, and he's five ten. I think you're you're seeing smaller guys, and I think maybe like that Odell Beckham Jr. kind of helped. Turn the tide a little bit. I, I don't know, if, not that, that the height's not important in a cornerback, but I think that I think your average wide receiver is not that six foot five guy anymore. Th- that's much more the exception to the rule.
1: Yeah, Tyreek Hill, even Devonta Smith with the Eagles. I think they're they're they're, they're not they're you know not, they're not Mike Evans, they're not Giants, and they don't have to be. You're right. It's it's a changing game. It's a game about speed and space, and and you you gotta have defenders who can cover those guys because For every guy that can just win outside with size, or for every guy that can just be the master of the contested catch, the guys that are consistently going to going to produce the big plays are the guys that are like, you know, five ten, five eleven, and they're just really, really dangerous in space. And Party is a guy that can run stride for stride with most most of the receivers in the Big Ten.
0: My next guy is I think a comparable situation to Keandre Lambert Smith in that other guys are like the shiny new toys. But Jalen Reed at at safety – Who's to say that he doesn't, you know, by the end of the season doesn't emerge as the second best safety of this group? I, I, I like Zaki Wheatley the coaching staff clearly likes him. He has that kind of game changing ability. Keaton Ellis, you know, you've, you've seen a bunch of guys transition from cornerback to safety. I think Keaton Ellis played as much in year one of that transition as, as anybody. And clearly he's a really good athlete, but. You know Jalen Reed, he played in eight games, and they burned his red shirt for a reason last year. And uh, it's easy to kind of just a you know get caught up with the key Wheatley, but I, I think he's a really good player too. And I put him on basically the same tier as Wheatley and, and Ellis. Like I, I think there might be a pretty good competition for the second starting job, and certainly uh you've got a pretty rock solid, um, a good mix of guys in that in that two deep.
1: Yeah, I was struck when I saw him up close at the Outback Bowl practices how big Jalen Reed really is. You don't really realize it until you actually see him you know, actually with his with helmet off and his, his pads off. But this guy, is, they list him at like 6'1", 210. He's every bit of it. I agree with you. I think that if Penn State is smart, they will find a way to get uh, Wheatley and Reed on the field at the same time. There's a lot of different ways you can do that. You can do it. You can play a three-safety look. Or the other thing you can do is, and I'm—I I know I've been beating this drum. I, I, I get that Penn State loves Jonathan Sutherland, but as a, as as a guy, when you're looking at athlete athleticism, I don't know that Jalen Reed wouldn't be a better option than Jonathan Sutherland playing a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage because they're about the same size, and Sutherland is really going to be. They kind of view him almost in that coa farmer role from a couple of years ago, where he, you know he's probably going to be the uh, the field backer, but really just he's an extra safety closer to the line of scrimmage. And I, I just wonder, you know, midway through the season, if maybe Jalen Reed doesn't inherit that role because I could see Wheatley and Reed helping this defense. You know, it's great to have depth, but you, the other idea, Dustin, is you want to get your best eleven defenders on the field for a given play. And I think having those two on the field at the same time sure makes a lot of sense to me.
0: I don't want to pick on Jonathan Sutherland, but I have to think if this were a category that he'd be Penn State's career leader in uh, being near a play, but running past a play or or ne- nearly making the play, but not quite making the play. I'm glad you preface it by saying I don't
1: want to pick on Jonathan <laughs> Sutherland. I'm glad you prefaced that.
0: Uh, it's it's like saying, with all due respect, you can say whatever you want. <laughs> After that, I say with all due respect.
1: yeah, hey, I don't mean to be a jerk or anything, but <laughs>
0: <laughs> i I just don't I just don't know if I see a playmaker uh, in him, and maybe things change with it with this new role for
1: him. Maybe Jonathan Fitzgerald should have been on your list.
0: <laughs> maybe maybe. Not. The, 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 how about how about the guy who's who's been talked about too often? We'll do that one next week. <laughs>
1: Well, I think Brennan's site, I love Brennan Mark Brennan of uh, Lions 247. I love uh, when he comes up with his list of boomer bust players, which is another, an, essentially another way of, of saying, uh, you know, get with it or get out. You know what I mean? It's he, and he does it every year. I, I like that he does that because he's usually not, but he, it's, it's his way of saying, hey, look, step up or step off, as the kids say.
0: I don't know if the kids say either one of those things, and they certainly don't say those things in combination. Bob,
1: <laughs> do you have another defender for us?
0: I'm gonna. I could go Smith Vilbert or Amin Vanover, but I'm saying Smith Vilbert. You know, six, like you, you, you put both of these guys in sort of a similar category. Just they are unknowns to some extent. But, you, you know, I think there's some concern about the defensive end position, but it's like, what if one or both of these guys is a pretty legit player? And like, you know, smith Bilber with three sacks in, in the ball game, you, you know about Adisa Isaac and Nick Tarburton, you know, uh, limitations and, and some risks and some upside there. Damian Robinson coming in from Maryland uh, soon. You know, these guys are pretty important, both of them. And I, I like Smith-Bilbert to play a pretty solid role and, and be able to make plays in small doses.
1: For a guy that set the Penn State sack record for a bowl game, and he did it in a half, I have never heard less about a guy coming off that game during spring drills. I mean, nobody, nobody mentioned this guy. And I, I don't really understand what's going on there because Penn State's players and coaches are pretty good about when you ask them about, when you, hey, look, at the defensive end group or the defensive tackle group, who are the guys that have really impressed you? Those guys are really good about spreading the wealth. Like they, It's almost like they go overboard to mention everyone. No one mentions <laughs> Bilbert. And I, it, I, Daniel Gallen, our former PennLive uh, compatriot, and I would do, or did some podcasts. We were like, how is this guy not getting talked about? I mean, he certainly has some ability. He might have lucked into a sack or two against Arkansas and then they finally said, Hey, we're just gonna run the ball. You know what I mean? Let's let's just run the ball right down their face in the second half, and then we'll win the game. But I I agree with you. He is definitely not being talked about enough. And I think that he's still got a chance in the in the spring. He's gonna I, I think he's gonna be a top four end, Dustin, especially with Zariah Fisher out for the year. I mean, if if Zariah Fisher, you know, had not gotten hurt, maybe, maybe he's the guy. He's the guy on your list because James Franklin has said he's carrying 260 comfortably now. He certainly looks good, but with him out of the equation, I mean, how do you not how do you not look at Smith Vilbert and say, look, he's going to have to be a key part of the pass rush because you got Adisa Isaac coming off an injury, you got Nick Tarburton, who really, say for a couple of games last year, was not a huge factor, and he's got an extensive, I think, injury history at Penn State. So I think they're going to absolutely need Smith Vilbert, and I think he has to take. Another step forward. He's still lanky. He He's a guy that I think struggles to hold weight, but he's got that big frame. They just never mentioned him in spring. And I just, it's, it's very perplexing to me, but I, I mean, he, he's on my list as well. He's going to have to play. He's going to have to play well. And he's, I think he's going to play a lot of snaps.
0: There are guys who really, really deserve the buzz. Like I think Zaki Wheatley is one of those guys. He's done so much. Like he was legitimate. And there are also guys that they believe need a little bit of a a, pat, a little bit of a pat on the bum to say, "Hey, you're getting there." He wasn't. He wasn't either one of them. You know, and I think that's that's good for for better or worse. He's not a guy that they that the coaching staff maybe feels like they need to nudge along or, or throw an attaboy boy out there. So maybe that's a good thing that they're not yeah, talking about it. But it,
1: it's it's a, it's one of the mysteries in the last few years covering the team. I'm like, why wouldn't you be like promoting this guy in spring as a you just lost Arnold Ebiketie? Like, why are you guys not talking about uh, Smith Vilbert more? And then then I was starting to think, is there something about this guy? That we don't know, but I'm going to choose to take the high road, the positive road, and say they just, they just had like a brain freeze, a brain fart, and they forgot to mention the guy that has the has the Penn State program record for sacks in a bowl game.
0: I'm going to chalk it up to they want to keep calling him Vilbert Smith.
1: I've done it. I've, I've done it at least eight times in print. It's not. It's just not natural. But Vilbert's not even a not a combination. But yeah, I, I think I called him Vilbert Smith the first two years. He was at Penn State. So, Smith, I apologize for that. I hope you have a huge year. Uh, and I'm trying to figure out why they don't talk about you
0: more. And, and not his British cousin, Smythe uh, Vilbert. <laughs> <laughs> what better way to end it on that note right there? We, we talked away any opportunity to throw out some more names. So maybe we'll do that in, in the future. Uh, we will be doing that in the future. We'll be doing plenty more of this type of content going forward. So stay with us. That's Bob Flounders. I'm Dustin with For this episode of the Blue White Breakdown, you can check out all of our Blue White episodes on Alexa, Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and YouTube. And you can find everything else we do at PennLive.com slash Penn State Football. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time on the Blue White Breakdown. This has been the Blue White Breakdown brought to you by Live.